In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 23. In Joshua 23, we find the aging leader Joshua gathering the Israelites at Shechem, the sacred ground of their forefathers' covenant with God. With Canaan conquered, Joshua imparts his final counsel, emphasizing the crucial balance of faith and obedience, urging the people to remain steadfast in their covenant with Yahweh. This chapter encapsulates Joshua's legacy of unwavering leadership and serves as a timeless reminder and testament to the enduring power of God's faith, our faith toward Him, and of course, His promises. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, October 16th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, joining me this morning as we dive into what I believe, yes, is the penultimate chapter in the book of Joshua, it's the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Good morning, Pastor Beck. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Boo. It's good to be with you. Yeah, so we are uh, we are through all the division of the uh, tribes. We're coming to the end of the book. Today's chapter should be a very interesting one. Um, before we dive into it, though, I'm just going to ask you, how have things been going for you? Things are going fantastic. Things are good. Uh, we're, we just, a few weeks ago, uh, had our mission festival here at Holy Cross. Uh, we had uh, Pastor Mike Meyer from uh, Synod, uh, Synod's Office of National Mission come down and talk with us about disaster relief. And uh, we're looking at the possibility of putting together some sort of a disaster relief alert, Lutheran Early Response Team uh, type group. And uh, things are going well here at Faith High School, which is attached to Holy Cross in Warda. And um, we've got 20 students this year. I'm teaching uh, the underclassmen Old Testament class, uh, which is always a joy. Uh, we're not quite into Joshua yet. That'll be a next semester uh, undertaking. But we uh, just finished up Genesis. We're plunging into Exodus, having a lot of fun there. So, you know, I, I, things are going well. Yeah, sounds like the Lord's keeping you busy, but I'm glad you've taken some time to talk with us about Joshua anyway. I uh, Yeah, no, I, I think that... Um, I think that's amazing to be able to, to teach the young people the Bible. And coming from, obviously, a, a pastor like you, they're going to get, man, they're just going to get it in ways that, that they won't from other people. So I'm just, I'm grateful that you're doing that work. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, go ahead and start us off with prayer, and we'll just dig in. Absolutely. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to plunge deep into your word. Uh, we ask that as we have walked through the book of Joshua and we've seen your mighty outstretched arm uh, and how you delivered on the promises that were, were originally given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Lord, we pray that you would continue to be faithful, and especially in these latter chapters as we read through Joshua 23 and 24 and we hear that recounting, that retelling of your faithfulness. Help us to see that faithfulness not only in the pages of uh, the Old Testament, but especially fulfilled in your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you what, before we dive into our text that's appointed for today, 23, why don't you catch us up a little bit? What's been going on um, since, well, since the land was uh, div divvied out? Yeah, sure. So uh, Joshua is this this fantastic book where you you really get this this walking through of God delivering on His promises. Uh, of course, uh, as as the listeners know, uh, you have the first couple of chapters that sort of get the uh, the people of Israel into the promised land, uh, but then you have the bulk majority of the book is this this warfare and this. Um, then this divvying up of the land to various different uh, tribes, different groups, all of this. Um, and, you know, we, we do note that they, they don't finish the conquest, unfortunately. That'll, we'll hear more about that if we continue on into the book of Judges or if our readers uh, continue on uh, in Judges uh, themselves. But for us, for our sake, uh, these last two chapters, uh, they really sort of serve as uh, Joshua's farewell sermon, like we had in the book of Deuteronomy with Moses, where he's going to sort of uh, unpack everything and just leave them with these words. Um, remember that um, uh, Deuteronomy sort of ends on the note of, um, you know, 
we have set before you this day life and death, good and evil, choose life. Continue on in what God has uh, has called you into. Joshua's going to be very similar uh, in terms of these last couple of chapters as far, as far as him you know, saying farewell. He's old. He makes that abundantly clear. And um, it's, it's now his time to go the way of the earth. It's his time to, uh, to step aside. Um, and so he's, he's urging, he's encouraging the people uh, to continue in God's, uh, God's faithfulness and to continue in his love. We'll see how that plays out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's read the first part of our section today. I'm going to be beginning with verse 1 of chapter 23, according to the English Standard Version. A long time afterward, when Yahweh had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that Yahweh your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is Yahweh your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. Yahweh your God will push them back from before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land, just as Yahweh your God had promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them, but you shall cling to Yahweh your God, just as you have done to this day. For Yahweh has driven out from before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is Yahweh your God who fights for you, just as ye promised you. Now I'm going to pause there at the end of verse 10, right? We're kind of in the middle, and uh, we certainly have a lot to cover, but yeah, so, so here he is at the end of his life, as you've already pointed out, and he's summoning together Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers. Um, you know, this is something that I think in our modern governmental systems we don't—I guess we, it's hard for us to connect with. Uh, you know, we, I guess the most recent monarch that was pretty famous that passed away would have been Queen Elizabeth II. Makes me wonder if before she her time she gathered the gathered all the officials and gave them some sort of final word. I'm sure she did before uh, the King Charles took over. Yeah, you'd you'd likely think so. And I think that we we do get this uh, in one way or another. We get it when you know um, an outgoing president will give kind of his his final address you know, his final state of the union or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, I mean, I think for instance of, uh, wasn't it George, George Washington that gave kind of a, a, a renowned, a farewell, you know, sort of address, uh, where he, you know, encouraged against the party system and everything like that. See how that worked out for us. <laughs> oh, that worked out great. <laughs> yeah. Another conversation for another day. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, that there are times when you can almost kind of see that someone is, is stepping back from the public sphere. They're stepping back from a role of leadership, and they do want to sort of leave you with, with words. And I, I think that that's we would do well uh, to choose our words wisely. Uh, maybe that's just a practical sort of takeaway from this. Is you know how do you say goodbye? How do you how do you say farewell? Um, and I think Joshua obviously he's he's going to do a fantastic job here of bringing to the people's. Um, into the people's memory, um, and this is going to be what they're going to remember about him, uh, is the fact that, well, as it as it unlo- unfolds here, each and everything has to do with what God has done, what how God has protected them, how God has fought for them, um, and now he's going to encourage them to continue on in the fight, to continue on uh, sort of carrying the torch forward. Um, I, yeah, I, I kind of like that point that you made as, as far as, you know, this is sort of a farewell address Maybe we would do well to uh, to think and to pay attention to, you know, how do we say goodbye? How do we leave someone? You know, mm-hmm. as a as a teacher, you know, a part time teacher at the high school, um, I know, you know, that some of the kids that you know we we're we're graduating, we're not going to see them again because they're going off to college. Sure, they'll come back and visit, but you know, what are the words that we get to leave them with to impart wisdom to them? I, I think that's worth considering. 
Yeah, and in leaving words, what's the point of that? You know, Joshua is going on to be with the Lord. Um, it doesn't benefit him at all to go through the effort in his advanced age to drag all these people together, but he does it out of his, well, leadership, but also out of his concern for the future of the people. He wants right. to point. And I love, too, how he doesn't point to himself as maybe the Sauls of the world might. He points to God. He, he makes sure he makes sure that everyone knows that it's God who was the one who prevailed. But, you know, as I'm looking at this, too, I, I'm really struck by really the very first uh, verse, a long time afterward, it says, when Yahweh had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and then Joshua was very old. I don't know if we actually know how old Joshua was. Maybe you could share that with us if you know. But but the point I'm seeing already, though, is that this has taken a long time. I mean, the major conquest operations were completed. Israel was controlling the whole region, but but this took a while for the conquest. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely did. I mean, it, it took every bit of his, you know, uh, aside from, you know, his uh, his time wandering in the wilderness, you know, as as Moses's assistant uh, there alongside uh, Caleb and everything else. But uh, aside from that, yeah, I mean, it took absolutely the rest of his life. Um, so Joshua was, of course, one of the 12 spies that Moses sent over. Um, he was 50 years old at the time then. Um, and then I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up in uh, in some notes here that I've got in front of me. Um, it sounds like he it looks like here he died at about 110 years old. So it's uh, so it did take a very long time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And as he's reflecting on his life, I guess it's pretty good for us to do too. Uh, you talk about him wandering in the wilderness, of course, being the assistant of Moses. I, I, he had no clue at that time that God was using those experiences to prepare him for what God would use him for later. I think even that. When we reflect on our own lives, no matter how old you are, I think you can look back and say, wow, you know, I hated going through X, Y, and Z, but boy, it sure made me stronger for when this other thing happened, you know. And the Lord prepares us for the tasks he has us to do, but unfortunately, sometimes that preparation is not very pleasant. Right. Yeah, and and I think you made the comment about um, Joshua being, uh, being equipped sort of to be strong whenever it was time for him to be strong, which I think, I think is a good point to make because that's, that's sort of going all the way back to the beginning of Joshua. That's, that's the way that God sort of encourages him when he first takes over for the place of Moses um, is to be strong and courageous. Uh, but I think the other side of this is when Joshua sees the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, when he's actually there as a, as a, a fellow wanderer in the wilderness, um, what does he see over and over again? Um, he sees the people are constantly in rebellion. He sees that the people, they mess up. And he's also seen that throughout the book of Joshua. Um, you know, there are times when the people get it wrong. There are times when the people make treaties that they probably shouldn't have. Um, but we know that God is faithful. And so maybe that's the, the direction that, you know, and I feel like we experience this a lot of times within the church as well, is um, the more that you're in the church, the longer that you're in the church, the the more time that you're around God's people, it's not that you, it's not that you learn just how great God's people are. Although God's people are pretty great, I like them. All right, but what you learn is how faithful God is in spite of us at times. Uh, how how frequently and how frailly uh, we will fall, but how faithfully God will restore and how how God will never leave us nor forsake us. So maybe that's that's part of it as well. Oh, but I, I, I like the direction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, and, but, you know, we also see him, he probably is looking back on his own life, and he not only is remembering all those bad times, of course, I'm sure he's remembering the good times, but also think of this. When we come to the end of our lives, you know, in faith, we can look forward to being, you know, reunited, reunited with Jesus, and then, of course, the new heavens and the new earth after the resurrection. We have all these things to look forward to. But, how can we be confident that those things are true, that they'll really happen? And, of course, our confidence comes from the faith that we're given by the Holy Spirit and that same faith being nurtured through the Word and sacrament, all those good Lutheran Christian things. But thinking that from Joshua's point of view, he's going into the next life having very viscerally and visually and cathartically experiencing God fulfilling his promises. I mean, much of what we put our faith, hope, and trust in is unseen, as the apostle would say. But Joshua, I mean, he's heard the Lord say, 
do this and this will happen. And he's seen it happen. And so he's really in, in a good position to go into glory because uh, despite his sin, he has all the reasons in the world to be confident that God's will keep his promises. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the way you keep painting things in such a positive light and I keep throwing cold water or a cold blanket or something on it. And that's not what I'm, <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to be about, but right. you know, I mean, you make that comment about, you know, Joshua gets to see all of this and my mind immediately goes to Israel who came out of Egypt. Maybe it's because that's what we're teaching right now in Old well, Testament sure. class. But, um, you know, Israel coming out of Egypt, they've seen the 10 plagues. They've walked through the Red Sea on dry land. And, you know, immediately after they come through, they're, they're belly aching and they're complaining and everything else. And then, you know, as soon as they get to the promised land, uh, they're right across the Jordan River from it. Here they are. They send over the spies um, and all but Joshua and Caleb say, um, you know, the people over there are big and mean and scary. And Joshua and Caleb are like, don't you remember what God just did to Pharaoh and, and Egypt? Not too long ago, why? Exactly. Why? Why should you know? And so I, I always read, you know, read that with a little bit of just kind of a, a furrowed brow and just kind of a little bit of, well, frustration, not just towards the people of Israel, but towards myself because I'm the exact same way. Um, and that is to say, uh, we should know better, right? We've, well, you're absolutely sure. right. I mean, I, just to jump in, we all, despite having experienced in many ways firsthand the promises of God fulfilled. Um, you're right. Sin is irrational. Our doubt, right. when we doubt in God, is very irrational. And we have our own flesh pots that we look back toward longingly from our sinful days and unfortunately sometimes return to it. Uh, but I, I think that is another reason why we are given this, right? Because people ask, well, yes. why do we care about this divvying up of land? I mean, yeah, it was really important to the people of the day, but what does Joshua have to do with me? The, the whiffum factor, what's in it for me? <laughs> but obviously the Holy Spirit has seen it uh, to be very important to pass this information along to us. And what I think is very fascinating and very timely, considering the, um, I don't know, by the time this airs, the all-out war that's going on in Israel today, which has nothing to do with this Israel. I just want to make that very clear to folks. Right. Um, we see mostly secular people continuing to fight over an inheritance that really was supposed to point forward to the Christ and the inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. So here we have um, Joshua. Yes, they've received the land. He's going on to glory. But at the end of one's life, you got to start recognizing what's most important. And I wouldn't be surprised, although I am speculating, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if it's starting to click for Joshua as he's giving this, this final farewell message to his people that, you know what, it's actually not really about the land. It's about God. Right. And I think if there's, if there's anything that we should take away from you know, a deep uh, study of the book of Joshua uh, is that we, we, need to, we need to sort of have this, this what does this mean kind of question rolling around in our head because what do you do with this and 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 you could you're you're exactly right pastor boo you can go a couple of different directions and one of those directions is to say well i mean you know we got to make sure that israel is is over there inhabiting the land and everything else because that's god's will and that's god's promise and this that and the other but um like you like you very faithfully pointed out we know that that's not what that's not what the book of Joshua is about, and that's not the promise that is made to Abraham. The promise that is made to Abraham um, it, concerning the land is ultimately that the whole world will be blessed in his offspring, which is Jesus. You know, so that's that's kind of the direction that we need to take that in terms of current events and everything else. And uh, you know, we can certainly pray for peace. And you know, I noticed uh, in the Lutheran Study Bible that this uh, this section here in in the book of Joshua, they've got. Uh, sort of the the little cutaway um, little article about divine warfare, and um, you know we have that those questions of just war. What do you what do you do with with fighting with violence? Is there ever a time when violence is the answer? Um, we've covered that recently in confirmation class. You know, looking at the fifth commandment. Um, but there's a lot of big questions that come up from this, and so Joshua is certainly a book that we shouldn't overlook. Um, but you know, I think as you said. 
maybe this is kind of us seeing the point of Joshua and Joshua seeing the point of, of his life, that it's pointing towards the, the newer and the greater Joshua, Yeshua, same name obviously has been made, uh, that point's been made on your show many times, Jesus. Yeah, but it's always nice to make. Yeah, you, you got to, you know, you can't overlook that, that Joshua is the, in, in the same way that Moses talks about there will be a, a new and a, a greater prophet that will come, there will be a new and a greater Joshua, uh, and that, that one has come, that's Jesus. So, got to always keep our eyes on the prize there, Pastor Boo. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and, and it does keep us focused, because the whole Old Testament points to Jesus, and that's the point. Uh, but, you know, I also love that as Joshua's giving them this uh, sermon, speech, blessing, whatever we want to call it, you know, he says, he points to God, and he says, listen, you know, I've allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, um, and there are some that have been cut off already. There are still some that remain. I mean, we know that because they're Canaanites in the New Testament. So there are right. going to be people who still remain. You're going to have re- nation building to do. You're going to have skirmishes to take care of. You're going to have infighting amongst the tribes. But he says, of course, Yahweh, your God, will push them back. He focuses on that. But he doesn't just leave it there. He says in verse 7, he doesn't want you, that is God, to mix with these nations. Don't mix with them, the ones that are remaining. Don't even make mention of the names of their, and we could add maybe so-called gods. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew that they weren't anything, but they speak of them the way that they would have been colloquially spoke about. So yeah, so don't, don't make mentions of their gods. Don't swear by them. Don't bow down to them. So I think this begs the question in our modern day, certainly God isn't suggesting that... Uh, mingling cultures or uh, diversity, as we might define it today, Mm -hmm. um, is a bad thing. He's talking about um, basically very plainly false worship and worshiping false gods. So it's not that they couldn't hang out with Canaanites. It was that they needed to conquer the Canaanites, either either through military, as they've been doing, or through, I guess... uh, assimilating them into God's kingdom. Right. Um, so, I mean, the point to be made is is the same point that Paul makes about being unequally yoked. You know, that it, it's not a helpful thing uh, when you marry someone who has a, to- a totally different, I'm not even going to use the expression worldview, but uh, a totally different view on, on, on all things, right? And especially on eternal things. Uh, this was Solomon's problem, right? Um, this was the reason that, that Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, that they were all supposed to find wives, that they all found wives, not from among the Canaanites, but instead from among, you know, their own people. Uh, this is, uh, the reason is because when, when, you, when you marry yourself to something, you know, to someone like that, um, who is outside of the people of God or is, out, you know, is, is an openly practicing idolater, a pagan, you know, you know use whatever word you'd like, um, they bring with them into the relationship. Uh, they bring with them their gods, their expectations, their um, their own story of how things began, how things end, what the problem is, and what the solution is there in the middle, right? And uh, if the solution is going to be that we're sacri- you know, we're it's expected that we sacrifice to these other gods, uh, that's not going to turn out well um, in terms of being, you know, of of the tribes of Israel, of the people of God, um, or of the church to this day. So. Um, yeah, you're you're doing a wonderful job of, uh, of bringing out all of the practical 21st century applications <laughs> and and everything else. That's that's important to see whenever we're in the Book of Joshua. Oh, sure. Well, and we can get bogged down for sure. But I tell you what, I think right now is a good time for us to take just oh, a little sure. bit of a break, folks. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Beck and I will keep on going through Joshua chapter 3, 23. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, 
go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Before we get back to the program, I just want to say thank you. Thanks, dear saints, for taking the time to be with us in God's Word. Remember, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you want to send a message, uh, you can do that um, by emailing me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook if you're so inclined. Drop a note and just say hi if you want. But whenever you write, please let me know where you're listening from. And also, I'd like to know how you connect to the show because there are so many different ways. You can connect over the air if you're in the St. Louis area or as a podcast online at kfu.org or live at that same site. Or, and this is really my recommendation, you can download the KFUO radio app on your phone, Android, uh, and iOS, doesn't matter. Download that app and you can listen to all this program live or all the uh, podcasts of every one of KFUO's programs. It's really a great, a great resource. But enough of that. Let's head back to the Bible. So, brother, before we left, we talked a little bit about the, you know, the keeping away from the the people that are, well, that you've run out of the land. Uh, don't commingle with them. Don't be unequally yoked with them. And I just brought it up because I really just wanted to emphasize that this isn't a an aversion to diversity. This isn't a you're not allowed to marry anybody but people who look just like you. This is about faith, and we should absolutely not recommend people marry people who are not Christian. Um, it's just it's not a it's not a good idea. St. Paul says so. And I think verse eight is really the clincher here but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Right. And that word cling there is the same word uh, from back in Genesis 2.24. Um, a man will leave his father and mother and cling mm. to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So um, that's, that's sort of what's at, the, at the, the core of this, is that we are to be married first and foremost to, to our God. He is the one who is uh, with whom we are one with whom we have this oneness, um, and all other relationships sort of flow from that. So how can you how can you join yourself to someone who is not going to be joined to the same Lord that you are? Because our hope, of course, is that we'd be joined to that Lord forever. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's keep on reading. Just add a few more verses to the conversation. So uh, let's start with well, verse eleven. Be careful, therefore, very careful, it says, to love Yahweh your God. For if you turn back and you cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that Yahweh your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and a thorn in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that Yahweh your God has given you. Uh, let's pause there again at the end of 13. I probably should have read that far earlier. <laughs> you know, this <laughs> section continues the thought that we were just having about not mixing marriages with them and, and that God has declared that the Canaanites must be subdued. This isn't just some sort of political agenda and the Israelites kind of like, hey, there might be oil in there. Let's go attack them. You know? <laughs> no, this is they're exercising God's judgment against the people. But there is that temptation because they're sinners to not fulfill God's will perfectly. And as we know, they didn't. Right. As I said earlier, there are Canaanites in the New Testament. So uh, there are, there are, they're still fighting today as we kind of talked about it. But, but here he tells them very clearly that I'm going to continue to be with you, but there's sort of an asterisk. If you're co-mingling and you're just basically becoming like them, then you cannot expect that I'm going to continue to bless you by continuing to, you know, make the land yours. Um, talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, basically what Josh was laying out in front of them is he says, you know, um, God is going to be with you. God, just as he always has, God is going to love you. Um, but, you know, be careful. Okay. Love Yahweh, your God. Because if you go back and if you cling, cleave, if you 
hang on to those things, the remnant of the, the leftovers of the nations that are here, and then make marriages with them, right? Uh, he says that, you know, God is not going to act like he did before because these people are setting up um, all kinds of traps for you. And that's, that's exactly what God's people wind up doing, uh, is they, they don't really want to, and, and maybe this is something that we could explore a little bit, why do God's people not want to, uh, to completely drive out the nations? You know, um, when, I, when I've studied the book of Joshua before, or when I've studied, um, you know, in Exodus, whenever there, um, there are several military campaigns that take place, um, when you read through some of those passages, you know, people that are, that are studying along with you, they just kind of, they throw their hands up in the air and they say, what gives? You know, who does God think he is? You know, just going and, and, and showing all these people, you know, what's what and, you know, destroying all these people. And, you know, that whole concept of devoting to destruction, that seems really, uh, really unfair. You know, and the response that I've always had is that, first of all, uh, there is no one who is righteous. Everyone deserves the wrath of God. Okay, if we can, if we can start there um, and say, you know, the the one person uh, who ever lived who was righteous uh, was the the Son of God who was crucified for us. Um, well, then we're all on at least somewhat evil, even uh, footing. Uh, the difference is, is there are sometimes when God chooses to mete out His judgment, and we get we get into very scary places when we start. Um, assuming that something has been, you know, God's uh, judgment being meted out. Of course, we can we can say, yes, God is judging uh, whenever something bad happens. I, I notice I didn't say to good people, right? Because there aren't right. any good people except for Jesus, right? But um, when bad things happen, uh, the place that we get into trouble is when we start doing a one for one kind of a tit for tat thing, where we we say, well, you know. Um, I, I don't I don't know what it is. Um, you know, you'll you'll say this Supreme Court decision came down, and so God's you know retribution was this you know pandemic or this drought or this hurricane yep. or whatever it happens to be. So we don't we don't want to do anything like that uh, in the 21st century. But in the Book of Joshua, we actually do have you know, uh, and and um, uh, in other books of the Bible, we do have these examples where God decides you know, and He makes it known through His prophets that he is meeting out his judgment for the Canaanites, for the uh, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the, you know, the Jebusites, all of those folks, um, the ites, as it were, um, that he has brought that judgment that otherwise could have been left until uh, they died. He brings it to them a little bit earlier for the sake of his covenant people. So maybe that helps us a little bit when we consider that, just to say, why, why, why are these people being carried out? Why, why are they supposed to go and devote things to destruction for God? Why are they supposed to do this? Well, first of all, because God said so. Um, well, what gives God the right? We go right back to the fact that God is God. <laughs> Where and were we you when I laid the foundations exactly. of the earth? Right? Yeah, it's Job, right? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I think that is very much one of our problems as people, and I include myself, and that is that we have this, well, why does God allow bad things happen to good people? Well, as you so faithfully pointed out, I'm, there aren't any good people, yeah. and people are only declared good in spite of their sins because of Christ. So I, we have to remember that no matter what God says, no matter how that meshes with our current uh, sense of ethics and justice, it, it's it's irrelevant. As you said, he's God, and and we should really be grateful and gracious, and and, and I am, and we are, that God is merciful, that God is not a tyrant. Yeah. God is perfect. He does do things. And we also have to accept that God knows more than we know. So we have no idea. How many times do we, we hear things like, well, why did God allow X, Y, and Z to be born? Because that person went on to do all these horrible, evil things, like a little Austrian guy people like to talk about a lot. And it's like, well, God, God knows what he's doing, and he allows evil. We don't let God off the hook. He allows evil. But the evil is still not his doing, it's our fault. So there's this dynamic mm -hmm. that people just don't, they don't want to understand because they, they don't want to accept, I think, deep down, the fact that God is sovereign. He's God. He, yeah. You know, we don't talk about God's sovereignty as much as maybe we should as Lutherans. You know, not to the point of, of our Calvinist friends, but I, I do think it should be talked about a little more. Well, and I think as I'm looking here at Joshua 23 and 
um, you know, this, this snares and, and the people, the, the remnant of these nations, a remnant, you know, when it's God's people is a good thing. A remnant when it's not God's people is, is a problem. But I, I'm almost, my mind uh, jumps back to Genesis uh, when you've got Abraham interceding for Sodom, you know, and, and so this is, this is one of my favorite, you know, chapters in the Bible because you've got Abraham uh, haggles with God over just how many righteous people would it take for you to, to not uh, destroy this place? And the question that I've always kind of asked myself is, why does Abraham care about these people? Like, why does, why does he, why is he praying for God's compassion towards these people who are out and out wicked? Um, and I think that it's got something to do with that promise that is originally given to him, that all of the nations of the world will be blessed through him, through his offspring. Um, and so you can see why Abraham has that compassion, why he's appealing to God's compassion. But whenever there are not found 10 righteous in the city, you know, it's not like Abraham goes and starts evacuating people before the angels can depart and rain down, you know, fire and brimstone. It's not like Abraham goes and he's, you know, like going to stand in between them like, no, God, you don't get to destroy Sodom because I'm, you know, I'm, it's under my protection or something like that. So Abraham is faithful and he, as you, as you very, very, um, um, put it very well, right? Um, that this is God's sovereignty, that at the end of the day, God is going to get to be God, um, and God's faithful people get to just, re- they get to accept those, that that's God's will. And that's the way that it's going to be, um, in the book of Joshua, as, uh, as we've kind of alluded to a couple of times, you don't see that everyone has been driven out. You see that they have had, you know, they would probably call it compassion. They would probably say, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's just a couple, right? But a little, uh, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump, if that's right. leaveneth is a, is a verb that I we're using. So. Yeah, leaveneth, I like it. Well, yeah. you know, and I, I think we also start to get our own hang-ups, which have always been there, because as much as we hate to struggle with it, God's speaking of men, women, and children. He doesn't say, yeah. defeat all those who are of, you know, adult and, and fighting age men. He says all of them, and it, and it's it's very difficult for us. Now, what I think is interesting, as we look at Joshua's words here, which really echo uh, Moses' words in Deuteronomy 7, he says very much the same thing, but then he says in verse 3, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters from your sons, for they will turn your sons away from you know the true faith, etc. So we, we see here that God knows what's good for his people, and so when he is exercising judgment on these people, which we really don't have a right to say yes or no, and in this case we know it's his judgment because we're told, we're not just guessing, we're not saying, oh, look, a hurricane came through, but it spared this one church, so it must have been, you know, I, I, I forget which one it was. Katrina, I think, someone told me uh, that was judgment on the casinos. There you um, go. Well, yeah, and yet Las <laughs> Vegas has never had a hurricane so far as I know, right? Or even a major tornado. It's like, no, we, do, we can't read God's mind. But in this case, he was very clear. And, and so it's not just some personal vendetta. Joshua is being faithful to God and Moses, and Moses is being faithful to God. Um, and, and, that's, and, and it's sometimes the work of the Lord means that we are to do things that, be from our perspective, we don't quite understand or agree. Now, this is going to be a really crazy leap, but I'm going to make it anyway. <laughs> um, women pastors. Now, that's a crazy leap, I get. But, you know, Phil Boo looks at that and goes, ah, I don't, I, what, eh, right? What? Well, I don't see the big deal. But God says, no. And for our own good purposes. Same thing with um, a lot of the things that God has us do, right? Like, what's the deal with baptism? Well, God knows that we need a uh, an incarnate thing to to remember, and so he gives us baptism. Of course, he doesn't have to use baptism, but he chooses to. Well, what's with the Lord's Supper? It seems kind of odd, but no, look at how God's been working that through history. So we have to accept that God knows what he's doing, even if maybe the current climate says, eh, that doesn't seem fair. Absolutely. So, I mean, when God's Word says it, and it doesn't make sense to me, um, I need to assume uh, that I'm the problem there. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's something that I can come, I can be taught. Maybe I can come to understand it. Um, and if not, well, then um, that's one of those things where, you know, it, my understanding uh, has to be at fault here. And I have to just say, uh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, uh, right. and, and may your word be true. 
Amen. I I think of those Christians who struggle with, say, homosexual feelings and ideation, right? right? They may say, this is genuinely something I feel like I'm struggling with, something I was born with, but that doesn't give you permission to deny God's will. In the same way that I don't get to engage in my heterosexual sins, even though I was born in those sinful ways. Right. So we have to... So, so they, they might say, well, I'm showing mercy, but no amount of mercy is, is going to, um, I guess, make up for disobedience to God. And isn't now, it funny, isn't it funny how a lot of the time when we, or Israel, when we choose to show mercy, it's almost like it's, it's self-serving mercy, where it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show some mercy towards that particular sin that I also kind of really... P- probably want to participate in and everything like that. Right? We always try to have this way of justifying ourselves. Um, and, you know, we it, well, it's at least it's not like the sin of so-and-so, you know. I think we do that a lot uh, uh, today. Oh, yes. We got our well, the Israelites today. do it, right? Like, okay, you tell us to go in and attack the land. Well, we went there, and there's a bunch of giants there, so I don't think we should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or don't marry the women, but they don't say this, but, hey, the women are good looking. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> or, or you know, hey, uh, you know, hey, look at th- these, these, um, these, uh, uh, the people that remain. We can make them slaves. You know, of course, that's sinful all around. But still, the point is, you can always come up with something that says, "I feel like I have a better bead on things than God." Now, oh, yeah. I think it's important that people at home understand that we're not uh, ca- callously talking about, "Oh, all these people died." No, in fact. No. God would have none of them die. God would have no one die from this point forward. He wants all to come to the truth of him, and but they didn't. They refused. And, and while it's not within the scope of this particular episode, go back and listen to some of the episodes. We've seen that they are actually being judged for their own actions. They deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean— Just as we do. Absolutely. Uh, but for the sake of Christ, um, that would be— that would be our same condemnation. That would be our same judgment. Um, and so I think that it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult topic for sure. And, uh, and I commend you for uh, taking uh, your folks there on thy strong word through uh, the book of Joshua, because it's one that um, sometimes we overlook because of all the bloodshed or because of all the monotony of this tribe gets this land and, and this land up until this river and everything else. It can be a hard one to kind of slog through, but um, it's, you know, it is one of those uh, one of those books of the Bible that, just like the rest of them, uh, it's never a waste of time uh, to invest uh, time in God's Word. That's right, and we have made it through, so that's good. <laughs> I'm going to read 14 through, uh, well, through the end through the of end, sure. our section. Yep, just two more verses. Yeah, it's a really happy, happy way to end, right? All right, well, here we go. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know that in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that Yahweh your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that Yahweh your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so Yahweh will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that Yahweh your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of Yahweh your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Yeah, it's... um. It's sort of a gospel law sermon, <laughs> right? It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to start with the, with the gospel and tell you how great God's been, and uh, we're going to end with, uh, just so you know, <laughs> God is just. Yeah, you could, you could probably hear a pen drop uh, at the end of, of that, this chapter. And he just kind of says, listen, things have been great, and God has been great, uh, but if you mess it up, you got nobody to blame but your own self. That's, that's hard for us to hear, I think. <laughs> But is that not, just a couple of weeks ago, we did the workers in the vineyard. Yeah. And, and Jesus himself, really speaking in couch terms through a parable to the religious leaders who failed to do the will of God and to, to lead the people right, he says, you, you killed the prophets when I sent them, you killed the, you know, uh, John the baptizer when I sent him, and you killed Jesus when I sent him. So guess what? It's taken away from you. You don't get it anymore. And and it's given, and it was, it was taken away from the so-called sons of Abraham and given to 
Israel, that is, all those who put their faith, hope, and trust in in Christ. And of course, that was prophesied from of old, but the people of Jesus' day, Jesus minces no words, and he does that, but then it also turns into a warning for us. You know, the fact that you've been saved is a gift of God, but you then don't just <laughs> rest and, and, and I shouldn't say rest, I should say you don't just be lazy and, and not put that faith into action because God expects that you're going to produce for him a harvest of righteousness. And if you don't, well, then the same fate could befall upon us. That is, God will take it away from us and give it to someone else. And I think we've actually seen that in our recorded history, recent history, I should say. You know, you think of the the power that the church exercised in Europe and even uh, into the Mediterranean, and then how they then got drunk with that power. And just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was taken away from them and given to others. And we see America, how amazingly patriotically faithful and religious, you know, you know, my, my tattoo of Reagan has a tattoo of Jesus <laughs> on him. Right. So, so we're, we're all, but where is that gone? God has taken it away from us in many ways and, and given it to other people. And now we are just a remnant. And, and I think that's something that we shouldn't miss. That yes, the gift of faith is free, forgiveness is free, salvation is free, but it comes with, I guess, a responsibility. And, and that's what Joshua's basically, in the same way that the new Joshua tell, told the Pharisees, he's telling these people right here. Right, and that's that. I think that's where you know, if we're, and this is not to, you know, sort of import a gospel handle situation where we're just going to run off in the direction of Jesus. I think that that is, that is where we find hope in this chapter, um, is that God is faithful, right? Um, that God is the one who is going to show up for his people. He's the, the God who has established uh, the covenant with his people, um, especially uh, going all the way back to Abraham, that through his offspring, as Paul uh, beautifully points out, offspring is singular, referring to Christ, the one true offspring of Abraham, the one who matters, right? Um, that he's the one who shows up. And listen, all of this good that Yahweh, that God had promised, um, and that now the evil things would come, well, the evil things, they, they come upon Jesus. That's what he endured for us, uh, even for Joshua, for uh, Israel, for, for all the peoples of the world, um, that Jesus is the one who steps into the fray, um, and he takes all of that, that, um, that wickedness that uh, Joshua is predicting here, um, he takes all of that on himself, uh, being the worst sinner who has ever lived, that is when our sins are, are, are put upon him when he bears those sins uh, as our perfect sacrifice, our perfect uh, um, um, atonement. Uh, there he, he bears the brunt of that, and he bears that anger of Yahweh when God turns his back on him on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, I, I think for our purposes, that's where we go from this, is we say, wow, God is sure setting this up. I mean, if, if we mess up, God's going to be angry. God's going to God's going to reject us. Well, God rejected us in the person of his son, right. which is the point of Joshua is that there's a new and greater Joshua coming. Just like Joshua comes after Moses, now there's there's Jesus who comes after Joshua. I know we've got a lot of people in between, but sure. that's the direction that we've got to be pointed with all of this. That's what we've got to see here. As Joshua goes the way of all the earth, it looks like Jesus is going to go the way of all the earth too. But then three days later, he comes back speaking a word of peace from God, to mankind, um, peace be with you, he says to the disciples. And uh, that's the same peace that we get uh, when we read through this book of Joshua pointing to Jesus. Yeah, and, and that's the amazing thing. You know, the one who has their faith right in Christ will go off and tend. I mean, not, not should, not has to, but will. Will go off and tend the vineyard uh, in hopes of pleasing the Son when he comes. Well, we, uh, I think that's a, a great way for us to sort of come to a conclusion on this. We're getting close to the end of the show. Uh, any other major points you want to make sure people know before we wrap things up? Well, I, I think that it is important for us. Yes, we, we know, you know the law and the gospel. We know uh, this, this whole dichotomy that we try to view Scripture with. Um, but it, it is, sometimes it feels like we're kind of going through the motions and we, we hear law and we know we're supposed to, you know, uh, repent of our sins. And then we hear gospel and we're supposed to rejoice over our, the salvation that we have in Christ. And those are, those are both good and true things. But I think it is important for us to hear these words 
um, as, a, as a stern warning, just as at the end of Deuteronomy, as I mentioned earlier in the program, uh, these last chapters of Joshua, these are Joshua reminding us that what we do in this life matters. He's reminding us of the fact that the choices that we make, uh, as, as big of choices as, um, you know, uh, who do we marry? Or for Israel, as big of choices as whether they obey God and devote everything to destruction or whether they enter into treaties and allow people a remnant to live and everything like this. Um, obviously, that's not for us. When we see those, we, we can see that there are implications to our actions and that our actions do have consequences. So, um, yes, we are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ. Uh, but at the same time, we do, uh, we do well whenever we listen to God's word whenever we heed his warnings, uh, when we confess our sins and when we trust in Christ alone. So I think we'll let that be it. Um, we got one more chapter in Joshua, and it's the one that everybody uh, usually remembers, you know, choose yes. this day whom you will serve. So we'll just sign off with that and um, wish God's blessings upon everyone. That sounds great. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Always a great asset to the show. Thanks, brother, for coming on again. My pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Boo. When we come back, uh, as he said, we'll be Joshua 24, the last chapter, and the curtain will finally fall on Joshua's leadership. And he will have finally assembled all the Israelites at Shechem, and he goes through that final address. But this testimony to his unwavering faith and obedience, it's all about God, and it all points us forward to that greater Joshua Jesus. So please join us as we finish up this text. But then um, we're going to go into a new text, and it's not Judges, I'm afraid. We've already done Judges, so we're going to be going into, of all things, Jonah. Jonah, just for two episodes. Jonah's a short book. Uh, it's very well known, but very short. So we're going to Jonah for two episodes, and then we're going to head back into the New Testament with the Gospel of Mark. And then after Mark, folks, then we're going to be doing Christmas uh, hymns. So that should be interesting. Lot, that's all the way through December. So we have lots of stuff coming down the pike. Join us for that. Uh, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.